This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, and this is The Full Story. There have been revelations of an extraordinary and unprecedented trashing of our democracy by the former Morrison government. This has been government by deception. The revelation that former Prime Minister Scott Morrison was secretly appointed to five additional portfolios during his term has shaken Australian politics. I cannot conceive of the mindset that has created this. I cannot conceive of the way that the government has functioned that have led to a point uh, whereby someone says, uh, I'm the Prime Minister of, uh, of Australia. I'd also like to be in charge of health, finance, treasury, industry, science, home affairs, resources. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is seeking legal advice on the matter, but says that Morrison will be held accountable. So, how and why was Scott Morrison appointed to these portfolios? And what does this tell us about the level of accountability and secrecy in the highest tiers of government? Today, Scott Morrison's secret portfolios. It's Wednesday, the 17th of August. Hi, Sarah. Hi, how are you going? Sarah, I'm wondering if we can just start with your reaction as someone who covers politics and does know quite a bit about Australian political history to these revelations. Have you heard of anything like this happening before? (laughs) Well, I mean, I think like everyone, I was just completely gobsmacked and no, had never heard of anything like this happening before. Sarah Martin is Chief Political Correspondent at Guardian Australia. In, In some ways, It was gobsmacking and really surprising. But then knowing what we know about Scott Morrison, it was also unsurprising in a way because we know that he ran a government that was very much, um, you know, I don't want to say a one-man band, but it seems seems to be becoming increasingly clear that he was running a government like a one-man band. You know, it was very on brand, I thought, to a certain extent. And and I think, you know, there's, there's sort of different layers to this story. And layer upon layer upon layer of this story that it just becomes more and more shocking and more and more disturbing. And I guess when you have the overlay of the secrecy as well, um, I think that is the most disturbing element of it. Mm. Let's step through how all this came to light. The first revelations were published in the Australian newspaper as an excerpt of a book titled Plague, looking at Morrison's reign during the pandemic. Can you step me through what is alleged in this excerpt? Yeah, absolutely. So the excerpt centres on the week that Australia decided to shut its borders due to the pandemic in March 2020. Um, And if we go back to that time, we remember the government is shaking up business as usual. Um, We know, you know, Morrison decided to form National Cabinet, for example, Mm. which was, you know, a a change in the longstanding convention of um, COAG um, and also gave authority to the Prime Minister and the state 
state and territory leaders in a way that hadn't been done before. Um, there was also emergency powers under Section 475 of the Biosecurity Act, which would empower the Governor-General to declare a human biosecurity emergency. Mm. And that gave Greg Hunt as Health Minister really extraordinary powers. Um, and this legislation had passed in 2015 and no one had really interrogated it. For example, he could make directives that overrode any other law, um, were not disallowable by Parliament and which gave him the authority to direct any citizen in the country to do something or not to do something to prevent the spread of the disease. Mm. It even, Greg Hunt could have basically imposed martial law on the country and it would have been allowed under the Biosecurity Act. So it was like pretty extraordinary powers. Um, wow. <laughs> you know, this, this presented a problem for Morrison. Um, it would effectively would be handing Hunt control of the country. And what we understand happened is that the then Attorney General Christian Porter, Morrison and Hunt talk about how they're going to apply this Biosecurity Act. They set up some protocols um, requiring the minister to provide written medical advice um, and advance notice of intentions to the National Security Committee of Cabinet. He seeks advice on another sort of check and balance on this extraordinary ministerial power um, and that's whether they could delegate the powers to Cabinet and then have the Biosecurity Act effectively administered by Cabinet delegation but the Attorney General Christian Porter's advice on that was that wasn't how the legislation was written and it was only the health minister who had those powers unless they wanted to change the act. So um, this then led to another idea being formulated, which was to also swear Morrison in as health minister alongside Hunt. And that sort of gave a um, safeguard against one minister having this absolute power that was vested in the the act Mm. and would also sort of serve the dual purpose of if, you know, Greg Hunt caught COVID or was in a coma or hit by a bus, um, Morrison could still administer that act. So Hunt was aware of this. Um, It's our understanding that this was, the protocols were briefed to Cabinet and at the time it wasn't seen as a big deal. Mm. What do you think of this move, swearing Morrison in as health minister? Does it kind of make sense within the context of the time and these extraordinary powers that Hunt was being given under the Biosecurity Act? Look, you know, I, I don't think this move in and of itself is controversial. And, you know, the way it was put to me by someone I was speaking to who was, you know, part of this decision making at the time was that this was sort of order number 85 of 180 as they were Mm. getting their heads around the pandemic. And if we go back to, it was a pretty extraordinary time, if we go back to the beginning of March 2020, and, and, you know, I think if they'd had the press conference and they said, okay, we're going to, um, you know, we're pulling the trigger on the Biosecurity Act and also, you know, we're going to be uh, closing the borders and, XYZ is happening and then way down the list, also the Prime Minister is going to be sworn in as Health Minister, you know, just in case. I don't think anyone really would have minded and it does sort of, like there is some logic to this and I think that's sort of mistake number one is not telling the public about it. Mm. But I think in the context of the time, having a joint health minister to administer this extraordinary uh, piece of legislation isn't the craziest idea. But this wasn't the only portfolio that Morrison was appointed to. Was it, Sarah? No, that's right. So according to the report in The Australian um, over the weekend, Morrison also swore himself in as finance minister. But in 
something that is quite extraordinary. He didn't tell the minister at the time, uh, Matthias Cormann, who's obviously a long-serving finance minister um, for the coalition. Mm. Matthias Cormann has confirmed that he wasn't told. It's his, it's his belief that the power was never used. Uh, we know that Morrison has uh, since contacted Matthias Cormann to apologise for not keeping him in the loop on that rather important piece of information. Mm. So that's the first revelation at the weekend, but then the next day... Uh, we found out that Morrison took on another role, the role of resources minister. This was revealed via a news.com.au article. What did we learn in that article, Sarah? Yeah, so that article spoke about a plan to drill for gas off the New South Wales coast um, that was under consideration, uh, had been under consideration for quite some time um, and a decision was was finally made in December last year. Mm. Um, it's known as the Petroleum Exploration Permit 11 or PEP 11. Um, it's located 50 k's off the New South Wales coast. Uh, in the lead up to the election, it was a political flashpoint in a lot of uh, Liberal-held electorates, um, mm. including some wealthy blue ribbon seats under threat from Teal Independence who didn't want it built near their pristine beaches. Um, so, look, it was it was a big issue. It was also one that Independence Ali Stegall had made a lot of political hay out of mm. and um, those Liberal MPs in those seats were getting very nervous. So, Resources Minister Keith Pitt was going through the process. Um, we understand he wanted to move ahead with the approvals. There was various correspondence with the regulators, but Morrison was under pressure from these MPs to ensure that the project did not go ahead. Mm. So it was during this process throughout 2021 that the Prime Minister revealed to Mr Pitt that he was also secretly sworn in as the Minister for Resources mm. and could, in fact, make the decision himself. So. We know Keith Pitt has been very reluctant to talk about this issue, but according to the former Deputy Prime Minister Barnaby Joyce, Pitt was shocked to learn that Morrison had secretly sworn himself in as a second minister to his own portfolio. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, there he is with his pen poised to make a decision and then he's, uh, you know, basically nope. <laughs> basically told that uh, the PM also has the Minister for Resources special pen and um, can do what he likes. So Keith Pitt asked for the executive order, which he wanted to see to, to explain how two ministers could be sworn into the portfolio um, and discovered that it didn't exist. So he then uh, complained to the Deputy Prime Minister, Michael McCormack, um, but was told that Morrison's the Prime Minister and, you know, what the Prime Minister wants, the Prime Minister gets. It sounds like an extraordinary exchange, Sarah. I can only imagine this moment of the Resources Minister saying, oh, I'm the Resources Minister, and Morrison saying, no, I'm the Resources Minister. I mean, this is very different from what we're talking about with Hunt and the health portfolio, right? It's a, a Prime Minister secretly swearing himself in and revealing it during what sounds like a contentious back and forth with the resources minister over a decision he was making. Yeah, look, it's it's absolutely extraordinary that, I mean, the reason that ministers are given a carriage of portfolios is that they become the expert in that portfolio. Mm. They cons consider all of the advice. They're the ones that are the sort of point person for the department. Um, they deal with the regulators. They deal with all the applications. They, uh, you know, they're, they're the minister for a portfolio for a reason. Um, so it's extremely different to the situation surrounding the health portfolio. Mm. Um, and particularly because um, we know that this was a, a political decision that the Prime Minister ultimately made. Uh, it's a, a pretty extraordinary um, turn of events. And again, um, it's not 
it's clear that you know most senior ministers in the government weren't aware that Morrison had sworn himself as resources minister to make this decision. So Sarah, that's the health, finance and resources portfolios. Any more? Yes. <laughs> so we learned um, in Al- Albanese's press conference on Tuesday morning that Scott Morrison also appointed himself to both the Treasury and Home Affairs Department in uh, in 2021. I've been informed uh, by the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet that between March 2020 and May 2021, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, was appointed to five additional portfolios in addition to his appointment as the head of Prime Minister and Cabinet. And we also learnt that he held all of those portfolios, so the five additional portfolios, right up until the May election. Wow. So the Treasury and Home Affairs portfolios, these are pretty important. I mean, is it fair to say that he had some sort of control of the biggest portfolios in the country, Sarah? Absolutely, that is fair to say. And even more alarmingly, he had control of these portfolios without the public being aware of that and without the normal minister of those portfolios being aware of that. And also it seems as though the departmental secretaries weren't aware that Prime Minister Scott Morrison was also their relevant minister. Has Morrison commented on why he decided that he needed to be appointed to any of these portfolios? Yes. Yeah, so Scott Morrison was asked on 2GB Radio on Tuesday why he did this. And essentially, he said that when it came to the health and finance portfolios, this was a safeguard in case the ministers got sick uh, and was also a, a check on the extraordinary powers that they had during the pandemic. We were dealing with quite extraordinary circumstances. And as a result, we had to consider some rather um, unconventional, well, I wouldn't even say that because um, I understand on occasions things like this can happen, but um, we had to take some extraordinary measures to put safeguards in place. Unfortunately, Ben, um, none of these in the case of the finance and the uh, and the health portfolio ever ever required to, were required to be used, and uh, they were there as a safeguard. He was also asked, "Well, what about the resources portfolio, which is obviously very different circumstances? It was at a later date; it was not related to the pandemic." And Morrison said, "Well, that one was because of uh, a very important decision that Keith Pitt was making on the PEP eleven project." Okay, what about Keith Pitt? Because then, at a later date, in April twenty twenty one. Uh, you made yourself, you know, effectively a backup minister for resources. Now, this had nothing to do with coronavirus or the pandemic. You'd acknowledge Correct. that? That was, a very, yeah, that was a very, very different issue. This was a very important issue. It was one uh, that uh, I sought to make the decision, be the decision maker on that issue because of its importance. And he said he went about informing himself on everything he needed to know regarding the project and made that decision in accordance with the legal requirements. I had to follow a very meticulous process in informing myself about the issue, taking briefs on the issue, and then making a decision in accordance with all the legal requirements, which I did. And uh, when I put myself in a position to take that decision, I informed Keith at that point, and then as a result, I went forward and made that decision. So Sarah, these decisions were made, and they were also kept secret, not only from the public, but also, as you say, from senior ministers and government. How? 
usually when a minister is appointed, it's a public process. They go to a ceremony at government house, they, uh, um, they are allocated their portfolios, and then that information is published uh, and, you know, there's no secret ceremony, it's all out in the open. Mm. The process that they used in this instance, in these instances, I should say, is basically the process they use routinely for when, um, for example, a minister goes on holiday or they have a conflict of interest and legislation needs to be handled by a different minister on a sort of temporary basis or on an ad hoc basis. So let's say, you know, my aunt Geraldine, you know, I'm a minister, my aunt Geraldine owns a block of land that will be affected by this legislation. I might say, I can't, I can't be the minister responsible for this legislation. We'll go to the Governor General, we'll get him to sign an administrative instrument that says another minister will look after this legislation because of that conflict. Mm. Is this the same as having an acting minister in the same way that the deputy prime minister becomes a prime minister while they're overseas? Or or is that different? Uh, uh, this is why you know, our brains are exploding over the last 24 hours. But um, basically the difference is that with um, this process, you don't displace the primary minister. So it allows you to have two ministers. If you have an acting minister, you're effectively displacing the primary minister. Mm. So it's it's slightly different. You're not um, stepping in, you're stepping alongside. Exactly. Um, so it's obviously a bit of a loophole um, and I guess what the constitutional experts are saying is that it's not it's not sort of illegal but it's, um, you know, constitutionally vague, I guess, the way that they have gone about this. So obviously the Governor-General was involved and he did sign the administrative instrument. Um, however, uh, Government House has confirmed that while uh, the Governor-General David Hurley appointed uh, Scott Morrison to administer these other portfolios, he didn't make it public on the advice of the government of the day. So so basically he's saying that decision was up to the government of the day. I swore him in to administer these other portfolios based on the uh, advice of the government of the day. Um, And there's no, you know, there's no law that requires the Governor-General to publish these things. That's that's sort of, you know, a major flaw in the system that has come to light Mm. um, in that. uh, And, you know, there's obviously talk now about potentially closing that loophole so the Governor-General and the Prime Minister can't do these secret things um, and the public uh, can be kept informed. Mm. So the Governor-General is essentially saying, I followed the rules and also I followed what the government told me to do. Is that fair to say, Sarah? Yeah. So, you know, he basically said, Constitutionally, the appointments were made consistently with Section 64 of the Constitution. Um, He said that it was not uncommon for ministers to be appointed to administer departments other than their portfolio responsibility, and these appointments do not require a swearing-in ceremony. And the Governor-General signs the Ministry of Instrument on the advice of the Prime Minister and then takes advice about whether or not to publish that information. Next the calls for accountability and for Morrison to resign. I want to go to the reactions to these revelations, particularly in Canberra. What about the coalition? Who knew what when and what does the party think about this? Well, it sounds like not many people knew a lot. Um, Mm. Certainly, 
it seems the Cabinet was mostly aware of the decision in relation to Greg Hunt and the health portfolio in those early days of the pandemic. Keith Pitt seems to be the only person who was aware that the resources uh, portfolio was signed over to Scott Morrison and obviously he confided in some of his Nationals colleagues at the time. But no one seems to have known about the finance portfolio. Even the then Attorney General, Christian Porter, I understand he wasn't aware at the time that Morrison had also used that power to um, assign himself mm. the finance portfolio and that sort of despite sort of Porter being involved in those initial discussions about Hunt. So it sounds like this was very, very tightly held. David Littleproud, the current Nationals leader, has been quite scathing of this behaviour. You know, these are the decisions of Scott Morrison. Um, I I don't agree with them and I'm prepared to say that openly and honestly. He's also told Radio National he didn't know about the alleged arrangements he called it pretty ordinary and questioned how it lined up with the Constitution. So I'm, I'm not even aware of the mechanics of how it can actually take place. So that was obviously news to me as well. Does it seem tricky to you? Well, it's disappointing. Also, Karen Andrews, the former Home Affairs Minister, told media on Tuesday she had no idea that Scott Morrison had sworn himself into her portfolio. She also said that she is going to ask him to resign and leave Parliament. She said this is totally unacceptable for a Prime Minister to behave in this manner, undermines everything that a federal government constitutionally should stand for. Um, His former uh, Cabinet colleague, Ken Wyatt, the former Minister for Indigenous Australians, also slammed the behaviour of of the former Prime Minister. And instead of calling on him to resign, uh, Ken Wyatt said he needed to stay in Parliament to answer questions and to be held accountable. However, the opposition leader, Peter Dutton, has not supported um, the call for Morrison's resignation and hasn't really been critical at all. He says he didn't know, while he didn't know about these appointments, he says it's time for cooler heads to prevail and said there are bigger issues families in Australia are dealing with. And he also repeated some of the justification that Morrison had told 2GB on Tuesday morning about the pandemic creating a very difficult situation for the government to deal with. I found it particularly interesting some of the questions that have been raised about the decisions that were made in these portfolios. I mean, if there's two ministers and very few people know about the second minister being Scott Morrison... Are there practical implications for government business if people don't know how these decisions were made? And could that lead to legal issues here, Sarah? Well, I guess that's sort of what we're trying to get to the bottom of now. I mean, we know in relation to the decision he made as Resources Minister um, regarding the PEP 11 project that that decision is now being appealed in the federal court with Scott Morrison listed as the relevant minister as the joint authority and the decision maker Mm. in that case. Now, the one decision that we know about is the subject of a court proceedings. So that matter has to play out in the courts. But separate to that, we know that Anthony Albanese is seeking legal advice over all this. When will we know what that legal advice says and whether Morrison or others will face consequences? So Albanese has said he has asked for advice from the Solicitor General and there will be an update next week on Monday once that advice is finalised. He has refused to comment further on what other consequences there could be. Uh, Let's be clear here. Uh, This was a centralisation of power uh, by the former Prime Minister and the former Prime Minister uh, should be held accountable uh, for uh, his actions as well as the actions of other members of his government. Obviously, it's up 
to Parliament um, as well to to determine its fate. And Parliament could refer Scott Morrison to the Privileges Committee. And the Greens have already indicated that they will uh, go down that path. Um, there's also potentially um, a censure motion could be moved against him. If Scott Morrison is referred to the Privileges Committee, that can investigate uh, whether or not he has been in contempt of Parliament. Um, and obviously, being found in contempt of Parliament is sort of sort of one of the more serious uh, things that Parliament's sort of internal mechanisms uh, can conclude. So that would not be a good outcome for Scott Morrison. Sarah, I think what I take from this story is that it kind of underlines how much power a prime minister can have. And I think it raises the question as to whether there is a lack of checks and balances, there is a lack of transparency as to how these powers work. What do you take from all this? I think what I take from this is regardless of all the conventions about our um, system of democracy, and obviously these are things that have stood the test of time, it's sort of extraordinary to me that there is still this flaw in the system that was able to be exploited. And it really is quite alarming that um, that this, you know, maybe at the end of the day, in this instance, um, Scott Morrison didn't as far as we know, use these powers to a great extent. But he could have and the public may not have known about it. And I think that's really concerning and I think it's obviously something that the parliament more broadly needs to look at to ensure that all those um, systems and the the Westminster system that has served us pretty well, I think most would say so far, um, remains as robust as it should be and has been. Right, Albanese says the system has been trashed, but maybe now it could be fixed. Absolutely. An an alarm bell has been rung and it needs to be listened to. Since recording this episode, Scott Morrison has released a statement regarding his appointment to these portfolios, clarifying that his intervention in the PEP 11 decision was the only matter he involved himself in directly, and that he used such powers on one occasion only and did not seek to interfere with the ministers in the conduct of their portfolio, except in the case of the Department of Industry, Science, Energy and Resources. He states that he regrets that his actions have caused concern, but he believes he made, quote, the right decision in the national interest. Okay, that's it for today. This episode was recorded with Sarah Martin, Chief Political Correspondent at Guardian Australia. She's been taking a closer look at the PEP 11 decision, which you can read about at theguardian.com. And of course, this is a rapidly evolving story, so you can catch the latest on the Guardian Live blog and on the Guardian front page. This episode was produced by Joe Koning, sound design and mixing by Daniel Simo. The executive producers of Full Story are Miles Matignoni, Gabrielle Jackson, Molly Glassie, and me, Laura Murphy-Oates. Okay, catch you tomorrow.